All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. Tonight is our first episode uh, in 2022. And uh, unfortunately, oh, Rudd already left us. We're, we're two seconds in. He's already gone. Uh, unfortunately, Andy cannot join us tonight. He's going to be out all week. Some unsuspected stuff came up today. And uh, he'll be back next week, we hope. But uh, for folks that are tuning into the Serious Anger Podcast, welcome back. And for folks that uh, you know might look a little new on the uh, Ben and Rudd's channels here, I've taken over. I uh, I am the captain now of your guys' YouTube channels. <laughs> I think this is cool, though, man. Like being able to actually put it on multiple people's channels, right? Like you get exposure, and we get to you know put more content out. So. Yeah, I can't wait to take a screenshot of this on Rudd's channel and send to his sponsors that he's like, all, all has all these different sponsor logos in the bottom. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, seriously. Uh, 2022 has begun. First uh, first show of the new year. I'm glad to see all these new faces and new names. I was joking with the guy. <laughs> he sucks going for mobile, dude. Yeah, he's not good. Uh, but no, it, dude, I was joking with you guys offline here before we started and how how many people were commenting already before the thing started and i was like dang this is what it's like to you know have a cool have a big following and yeah, no, uh, we're I mean, joking but it, it is because cool you guys have a lot of support i mean that's what it shows yeah and kind of building on that man it kind of gets serious angler in front of multiple people that might not know of serious angler right and like we were talking this is 262 this is the 262nd podcast that you've done and so, like, it shows this isn't, like, just a, a new thing that's randomly popped up. So if you guys don't know who Serious Angler is, who, who that group is, it's Bailey, Andy, and uh, what's Deacon's? Adam. Adam Deacon. Um, and <laughs> we don't basically, call him by his first name much. <laughs> yeah, Deke. But it's basically just, uh, you know, a group of guys that like to talk fishing. So this isn't anything new. Um, go over, check out the channel if you haven't already. That's actually who's hosting it is uh, Serious Angler. We're just kind of mooching off the content. Yeah. More uh, <laughs> Alex and and Ben are letting me mooch off of their channels. <laughs> but no, we're here to talk fishing. We're here to talk about uh, a pretty cool topic that I'd like to dive into. And I every year I try to kind of divulge into a little bit more. And, uh, and that's really just trying to look back on the year that you had and like see what you've improved on. Look at yourself a year ago and be like, how far did I come? Where did I improve? And then try to look at like, where did I not improve at? Where do I need to make strides in going into next year? Because as anglers, we're ultra competitive and obviously want to get better wherever we go. What's up, buddy? You're back. I am. I have no idea what was going on. Like literally, it was like to the point of slow motion where like your voice was popping. It was like, I don't know what was going on. Tennessee gets a little bit of snow and the world just comes to an end. Oh, I mean, wheels have come off down here. It literally snowed like a quarter of an inch. The roads are perfectly fine. Like I drove today and like the wheels have come off down here. The internet's down. I mean, I'm surprised the power's not out. I'm surprised cats and dogs aren't living in harmony, mass chaos. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> well, buddy, we have you now. So we'll, we'll make use of it while you're here. While you're here. Hell, hell yeah. Let's, let's let a rip tater chip. Yeah. So what I was saying uh, before we, we got you back in here was uh, tonight's show, we're basically just going to be kind of divulging our, our weaknesses from this past year, looking back on what did we improve on? What do we need to improve on for next year? But uh, before we dive into that, 
Uh, I know it's been a few months since we got both of you guys on the show, and I'm just kind of curious uh, how your Christmas and, and New Year's went, and uh, just tell me a little bit about the holidays before we start diving into 22. Benjamin, go ahead, buddy. My holidays were good, man. I did very, very minimal. Um, we had a baby end of November, so we just made everyone come here. We're like, hey, if you guys want to see us, uh, come over to our house. Like, we're not taking her out anywhere. So everyone came over. We hung out and didn't do a whole much of anything. Tried to ice fish, but there's like, like, I'm not a good ice fisherman, but um, I don't feel comfortable on anything less than like four inches of ice. So when it wasn't very thick, I, I left. It's nice not having to travel for the holidays, <laughs> get yes. to stay at home. Yeah. But then you got to worry about like when you're exhausted and everyone's still sticking around. You're like, don't want to be rude, but you're also like, go home. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, it's just like our parents and her parents. So we were like, oh, the baby needs to be fed. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, get, out of, get out of here. That's funny. Rod, what about you, dude? Man, it was it was chilled out. All my family and all of Bethany's family lives around here, so we went and did our Christmas stuff with them, and then we actually left the day after Christmas and drove down to Gulf Shores, Alabama, and spent all week down there and came home on New Year's Day. Did some fishing while I was down there. It was a lot of fishing, not a whole lot of catching. Um, I ended up hooking like five or six redfish and lost every single one of them. And then finally caught like a three and a half pound largemouth and I snapped my chatterbait rod because I thought it was a redfish and I like got all freaked out about it and high sticked one. High sticked the fish thinking it was a redfish trying to boat flip it because it ate right next to the boat and snapped my chatterbait rod. So, you know, it is what it is, but it was a good trip. I mean, it was a good relaxing trip. Christmas was good, but it was good to go down there and just hang out, watch football, eat way too much seafood and kind of reset before the new year. So. Yeah, uh, Alex and I played a little bit of phone tag over the break, and uh, when yes, I finally got a hold of him, I finally got a hold of him when he butt dialed me, and it was like the wrong time to call him because he's like pissed off because he lost like his third red in the past five minutes. He's like, I can't get these things in the boat, and uh, he had yeah. a nice brief conversation without him killing me over the phone. But unfortunately, it was pretty funny phone. because it was pretty funny because like I hear you talking like out of my butt like i was like i had my phone stuffed under my right butt cheek that's where i always stuff it for some reason and like i hear i hear hello hello and i like pull it up like oh it's bailey well good we'll talk to him now that's fine we can talk to him now make it work you bailey you've caught reds right i've caught yeah i've caught a few not like uh i'm enough to really know much about him but enough down but more than alex yeah i was <laughs> oh, down on uh popping frog that's a whole lot of fun that's so cool. No, I just wanted yeah, to give you a hard time really more than anything. <laughs> I was quite literally talking out of Rudd's ass is basically what he's saying. He was. He was. I often do that myself. I talk out of my own ass. So there you go. I mean, you know, it is what it is. We'll be fine. <laughs> oh, man. So kind of diving into uh, tonight's topic of kind of like how we're improving for the next year, you know, looking back on the previous year of like, Cause I think it's really cool and something that social media and having a YouTube channel, having GoPro footage allows you to do is like be able to go back like a year and see one, how far you've come, or maybe in some, in some cases, like maybe you weren't able to fish a bunch and you see how much better you were a year ago to, to that date. But 
being able to analyze over a period of time, like your fishing skills. And, you know, with that, you can see where you improved, but then also some gaps that maybe you need to improve on going forward or want to improve on going forward in the new year. But uh, before we kind of divulge into that, what, uh, what does your guys off season look like? And I know Rudd, you got a lot more open water than, than we do up here. Cause Ben, I think you probably are pretty close to ice, if not almost, you know, already there and, we're about to have ice here in New York pretty shortly, but I'm kind of curious what you guys do in the offseason. Dude, I was jealous of you going out and catches, catching them like, what? Did you catch them on New Year or did you catch them the day before? Or when, when did you catch them? It was New Year's Eve. We went out and we caught 180 smallmouth on the dot. And I mean, it was the three of us, but we had 29 pounds, five ounces, and biggest was a 6.5. That's unbelievable, man. Yeah, it, it was dumb. It was just one of those. If you can get on the Great Lakes, like it's very rarely that the weather cooperates enough for you to get out there for a good amount of time. But if you can get out in the Great Lakes in the winter, it is some of the best smallmouth fishing in your life. If you can find them or otherwise you just go out there and beat your brain in, right? Because they're like in tiny areas. Yeah. Or, like, or pretty confined if, areas. If you find them, it's a massive school of them. Like it's, yeah. it, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, it seems like no man zone until you can figure out exactly specifically what they're going to be on. And then it's just like your whole screen lights up and you figure out like a specific stretch or area to, to hone in on. And it's every drop, every cast, basically whatever you want to throw to at that point, because they're just, their metabolisms through the roofs are just, they're just eating everything that comes their way. So it's a, it's a heck of a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, yeah Rudd, I'm kind of curious for you, man, being in Tennessee that because you can get out on some open water, but I know you slow down a little bit. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what do you do in the off season? Dude, it's just not getting good down here. Like it's about to it's about to pop off as far as like the Highland Reservoir deal, um, you know, like Norse Lake Cherokee and all that. So I'm about to really start focusing on that. I've actually got kayak tournaments um january february on into march so i'm gonna start practicing for that kayak tournament at the end of this coming month but man i tell you i don't really know what's going on right now because this is the beauty of tennessee in the winter is that yesterday morning when i got up it was 78 degrees outside and i was wearing shorts and by yesterday evening when i went to bed it was 26 and snowing so I my biggest struggle is just literally trying to figure out what the fish are doing because, you know, it's really hard for to kind of figure out that pattern when it goes from thunderstorming in 80 degrees to snowing in 27 degrees. And then by the middle of the week, it's going to be like 80 again. But then on Friday, we're supposed to have snow again. So, I mean, dude, it's just it, – I don't know. I mean – what I do is I go out there and I just try to figure it out. I mean, like, that's literally the best way. I think that's why it's like southeastern fishermen. I think that's why a lot of fishermen move here is not only does it centralize you to everything, but also you got to be good. You got to be able to go fish on the fly and figure these fish out. And so that's kind of what I'm doing this time of year is just spending a lot of time clear highland reservoirs, cranking a crankbait, throwing a Ned rig, and just looking for fish. Now, and when it's kind of like, but it's tough like that where you don't know what the heck they're going to be doing with those kind of crazy mm-hmm. conditions. Are you trying to like limit how many rods are on your deck or are you just going to have a lot of rods in your deck just ready for anything? 
Man, I, it, it's always the same because I say this in every video I make, zero expectations. But I go out there with a set plan, right? My set plan is I'm going to lock a crankbait in my hand. I'm going to go crank until I catch fish. But that all doesn't always work. So it just depends. I mean, there's certain lakes, you know, like Norris is a great example, where it's a lake where you can have 15 rods on the deck of your boat by the end of the day. But then, like, all at the same time, you hit it at the right stretch, and you can just lock a crankbait in your hand and just go fish a crankbait. You know what I mean? So it's kind of a loaded question, and it's kind of a hard question to answer because it is just so different every day. But I always start with something that's in my confidence, you know, line of base, which is always going to be like a small body, medium diving crankbait for me. That's what I'll start with, and then the wheels will probably come off, and I'll pick up the Ned Rig at some point during the day and catch one on it. Yeah, you fell in love with that little trooper I have seen in, in the videos you've been posting. Dude, I love that thing. It is, I think it's like, I think where it is so freaking small, it makes it so much better. You know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of fish around here see a normal size Ned Rig, or they see that like next size up from the normal size Ned Rig, you know, or like the Magnum TRD or whatever. But, like, nobody I've seen is throwing the little bitty, like, almost hyper-realistic crawl patterns. And, I mean, dude, like, most of the crawdads that the bass fit up around here are that size. Like, their claws are that size. Their bodies are that size. And so I think it's effective not only because of the max scent, which the whole scent thing, we'll get into that because that's something I gained an immense amount of confidence in this past year. But also just that smaller profile really does a good job of, mimicking those crawdads really well and just showing them exactly what they're wanting to eat because that is one thing that happens this time of year down here is they switch off of shad predominantly now they'll obviously still eat shad but they switch off of shad predominantly and they start eating a lot more crawdads because our crawdads a lot of the lake crawdads actually don't go and burrow into the mud and like hibernate they just stay in the water and stay on the bottom and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, even right now, probably surface temperature, even on like Norris Lake, which is one of the colder lakes around here, is probably still only in the high, you know, middle middle 50s to high 40s. So they don't really ever have to hibernate. Well, that's another thing that's weird. I mean, unique about that little trooper, right, is that I figured it was going to be like a normal Ned Rig size bait. But it's actually a little bit bigger or excuse me, a little bit smaller than a normal Ned mm -hmm. bait. Like it almost barely fits in most Ned hooks. And it is like mm -hmm. a very small, compact bait, even compared to like the Max Scent Little General, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of Ned Rig baits on the market. That thing is tiny, tiny. It is tiny. I mean, even compared to like the Little General, I mean, it is really small and thin and just, I think that's one thing that people, we're about to go down a rabbit hole here and we're not going to go down it because we got stuff to talk about. But like, I think a lot of people like, you, you think four inches. Oh, here we go. This is going to be great. You think four inches and you think, oh, well, that's not that big or four inches is just four <laughs> inches. But, you know, some four inches are a lot girthier than other four inches. And, and depending on how you use your four inches, it's really going to depend on the results of when you use your four inches. But, but for real. But like if you look at like a four inch Ned Rig bait, you can have ones that are super thin or you can have ones that are bulkier. And so that, that, you know, that little trooper not only is shorter, but it's thinner and just overall just smaller. And I don't know, man. I mean, it's, I've been getting a lot of bites on it. And I don't just catch bass on it, which is hilarious. I've caught perch, bluegill, crappie. I hooked a catfish on it. The bass eat it. I mean, I think it's just that, like, perfect small crawdad size that every predatory fish in the lake wants to try to kill. 
<laughs> I think Michael's asking you, Rudd, if you're uh, speaking from experience. Um, I have never seen anything less than 12 inches in my whole entire life. That or I've been lied to about how long 12 inches actually is. <laughs> you you want to talk about rabbit holes, though. This I was talking with Ben. We were talking on the phone, like I think late last week about this. And fishing this past fall for smallmouth, all of like so we've caught a lot of fish. You know, when the wind's blowing on the Great Lakes, you do you do drifts over like high concentration or percent, high percentage areas, and you're drifting, which means you're typically always maintaining bottom contact. But I started experimenting one day with like when I really feel like really good shoal or I feel myself go over a uh, a decent sized rock that I flip my bail open and I let my bait just soak there. And what I found happening is as soon as I pick back up, I'd have one on, but it was always a good one. It was super weird. Like I had, there was one of the days that it was actually kind of tough, like early November on Erie. And I, I started experimenting with that. And I had 28 pounds by the time my buddy had three fish in the boat. And all of them that I did that with that dead sticking technique were all like over five pounds. It was the weirdest thing to me. I started experimenting with that more and more, even when it was like on fire every drop. And it was kind of crazy to see like no motion, no action, no nothing can get you better bites. It seemed not, not saying that's guaranteed, but it was kind of an interesting trend that I noticed this past fall. Well, I think it's kind of goes to what like a lot of guys are too impatient and they move the baits too much. Like there's a technique that Durds figured out. And I'll say it. I mean, it's dead stick in a hair jig. So like dead stick in a three thirty second ounce hair jig in like deep water. But um, the fact of the matter is no one's going to do it. Right. So mm-hmm. like, a presentation that other guys are maybe getting close to, but not quite doing like is going to catch you more fish. And it's actually going to typically catch you the bigger fish that are more pressured, that are more finicky. And uh, yeah. It's just a really, yeah, I, this whole entire past year. And I told, told you this Bailey is like, I, in the kayak specifically in the kayak showed me this, I would go to adjust something in my kayak and stop reeling or stop moving my bait and get absolutely just smoked. And it happened so many times to me that it started to become like noticeable to the point that I was like, okay, like there's obviously something to this and even like wacky rig fishing. Like, you know, I used to move it a hell of a lot more than I move it now. But now with a wacky rig, man, I mean, like, there's times that I know it's sitting on the bottom. And I just let it sit there. Because it'll be sitting there, and all of a sudden your line will just, and one will start swimming down the bank with it. And I don't know what the fish are doing, but you're right, Bailey. It always seems to be that bigger than average fish. And I don't know if it's just because they're a little bit smarter, I mean, for lack of better words, a little bit more wary, a little bit more aware. But, I mean, dude, they just, they like things to not do nothing, you know. Well, I saw weird. it happen a lot with a jerk bait, right? And you can visually watch them do it on live scope. Just cast that thing out. You work it down to depth, and this is where live scope's really changing. I think fishing for a lot of guys more so than just like actually being able to target fish you haven't been able to target before. But like fishing a jerk bait, you cast it in the water. These fish, I guess it could be any bait. These fish are so observant of what's going around them, like. As soon as that bait hits the water and starts to sink, you'll see curious fish come up to that thing. And then when it's sitting mm-hmm. in their face, they don't a lot of times eat it necessarily when it's sitting still. But the second you go to move that thing, like the second that bait, like even if you change, you know, you hit your bail on your line or you flip the bail on your spinning rod or something, that bait shimmies and that's when they attack it. 
I think it's mm-hmm. the same thing with all these techniques, right? Like sitting that jerk bait, sitting that hair jig, the wacky worm, whatever it might be. Like they're curious, they know it exists. And sometimes guys are just fishing it too fast and fishing it over fish, but they're so curious, especially if there's any sort of water visibility, like they'll come up to it. They'll come look at it. And man, like it's unbelievable how observant some of these fish are, especially in pressure bodies of water. Yeah. Like fish in the Southeast is talking about when he pulls his phone out. It's kind of similar to like when you'd stop and you grab your bottle of water to take a sip and you put it down and you pick up and your line's running left to right or you get throttled. It's, it's kind of interesting how no motion or no action, like letting the bait just kind of do its thing can make it kind of you trigger bites because I feel like, you know, Ben, you said how many guys like are always moving their bait. And like one thing I really learned this year with drop shotting, especially when you drop on a fish is I just don't, I just like, I've just become, I don't move it anymore unless they're not going to eat a dead stick. You just drop it and you just let it there. You, especially you if you know it's in front of them. them. Yeah. And like, you could, like, if you don't have live scope and you can't see them like visibly watch that, you just watch it hit bottom, your braid's sitting there, but you'll notice your braid will either tick or your braid will start moving a little bit. And then you can just pick up your bail and then they're there. It, it was kind of a weird thing I started to do in this, this past year, but like dead sticking is the move just because everyone's moving everything so fast. It's Not the same thing with a blade. And you won't get bit, but it's the same thing with a blade. Like one of the things I noticed a couple of years ago with the blade is these fish get pressured. You can throw a blade around other guys. If you're changing your tackle a little bit or changing your presentation. So like I had dirds and my buddy Tom in the boat, or this guy, I know Tom in the boat a couple of years ago. And one of the deals was you cast that blade out. It was dirty water situation. You'd make sure those fish could see the bait. So you work it a couple of times and then you just dead stick it And it. The longer you could hold it there, if you could just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, like eventually they'd pick it up and eat it and they'd normally have it like choked and gone. But um, yeah, man, it's really cool to hear like other guys have that same experience with, You know, if you think about it, when you look at nature, what's the natural response of something before it runs away to stop? A deer, it stops moving. A squirrel stops moving. Bait fish, bluegill, they just stop. Think about when you're about to get chased by a bear. The very first thing you're going to do is stop and figure out what you want to do. And then as soon as you start sprinting, that bear is going to be chasing you down. I mean, for real, that's why they say don't run for bears. I mean, because it's like that predatory instinct <laughs> kicks in. But, I mean, it's it's for real. I mean, like you it watch real, fish and you – like crawdad. Like a crawdad scooting across the bottom and if something gets near it, it'll, you know, stick its claws up and try to get in that defensive position. I think there's just something to that. I mean, I think fish – there's a reason it works, right? It doesn't just work just because. And I think a lot of things in fishing that we look at, we think, oh, that just works just because. Well, no, there's a reason that it happened. You know, there's some kind of instinct that drives that fish to go, I'm going to sit here and look at this thing. And as soon as it moves, I'm going to kill it. (laughs) You know, I don't know what it is, but it's a natural response to something. And I think a lot of it just has to do with food. Maybe it's, and it may even be the fact that it it allows the bass to hone in on exactly where it's at. Because you got to realize like a bass can't see directly in front of its face. And so it may be turning its body and angling itself where it can get a good visual on that thing and then go and attack it as soon as it moves or it reacts to it in that way. I don't know. Do you I, think I, I bass can go cross-eyed? Like if, yeah, maybe. 
But no, I had some interesting conversations with a with some. I can't really divulge who it was here, but it was an interesting conversation to say the least um, on some science that was done, and and the science was pretty fascinating on how bass use body language and how they angle their bodies and how they look at things certain ways to be able to get a better look at it and how it's not just a factor of how the bait moves but how it smells what it looks like what kind of you know hydrosonic signature does it put off so i think dead sticking baits is just one of many factors into letting that bass especially big bass really determine whether it wants to kill something or not i want to never what you're talking about but uh, I, I think if I've, if I'm thinking who you're talking about, Rudd, I believe I've heard his speech before about this, like that there's like a, a specific cone radius in a bass that can't see directly in front mm-hmm. of them. And by that, mm-hmm. like when I listened to this and I learned it, it made all sense now. Like while you were bed fishing for largemouth or you're fish, you're sight fishing for largemouth, that like that they roll and they like will literally like try to place their eye on a bait. Like it all made sense mm-hmm. how why they roll on baits and then will eat it because they're trying to pinpoint it so they don't miss. And then it like makes you really think like it's kind of great. Like it makes sense why they miss so many topwater baits because they, they'll go full speed ahead. But then there's like a moment there where depending on how fast you're out. Bait, they'll, yeah, they'll just miss. It, yeah. It's kind of a cool thing to, to talk about. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating. I, I mean, it doesn't matter what predatory fish it is. Like even great white sharks. Like I watched a documentary about great white sharks. They're talking about them eating seals. They said there's a moment at which it just loses it. And that's why sometimes they'll just miss them is because they're going, going, going. They can see it and then blacks out and they just open their mouth and hope that they cut it in half or injured enough that they can go back and kill it later. I think bass do the same thing. I think so. Nick Rose, the comment you literally just pulled up, he, he was talking about slowing down his fishing and catching a lot more quality fish. I think the exact opposite is also true. But mm-hmm. fishing like mid speed, like fishing the same speed that a lot of guys are fishing, tends to not typically catch as many big fish. And I think the reason why is you either fish super slow and that fish gets a really good look. It doesn't feel pressured. It doesn't feel like it's out of the ordinary. Or you fish really fast and you can trigger those fish to bite. But if you mm-hmm. fish like that normal speed, like I just don't think you're as effective at catching like really big bass. Um, and I actually have a video coming out tomorrow night, like talking about what I think it takes to target the biggest bass and to like accomplish your goal of catching the biggest fish you want to catch. Um, and that's kind of one of the topics I bring up is like, you want to fish either really slow or you want to fish really fast, but like the in-between zone is sort of like no man's land, unless you're just trying to like search for bites. And I, I think, think one thing to kind of, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say like, if you're throwing moving baits, and you're just doing one speed the whole time. You're not like implementing either a different speed or cadence. How like you might catch a few fish here and there, but you're not going to really get into anything consistent. Kind of like going on what you said, like you could take a chatterbait and really slow roll that and almost like count rocks on the bottom. And you can get really get them really good. But then you can also burn that thing and like twitch and make it really kind of dart. Uh, and you can catch them really good. But like if you're just always mid column, just kind of like easing along, you'll catch fish, but you're not going to get like really good with it and kind of figure out the little nuances. Well, and, and well, really either triggering their reactionary instinct, right? Like making those fish react to the bait or making them commit because maybe they're hungry or they want to inspect your bait. And that in-between speed is like, okay, like this bait fish is kind of chilling along and doing his thing. And like, 
whatever. It's not going to make him react. It's just going to make him like hungry fish are going to eat. But that fast speed or slow speed really gives him that. You know, well, I think one thing you got to realize at the base of it all is that we're trying to get them to eat something fake. Live bait fishing with you, Bailey, just proves that, like, dude, they know. It is the damnedest thing. I don't know how they know, but, I mean, I guess I do because they're the ultimate predator in their environment. They know the difference between the real thing and the fake thing. And I think that so many times we forget that – I don't know if they can tell, per se, because obviously they're not rationalizing, but there's a reason that they don't. And it, it's some kind of instinct to protect themselves. You know what I mean? It's something that well, you got to trick them to eat that thing at, at the base of it. And I will say this too, which is fascinating, you know, fishing like with Edwin, when I went fishing with him, that dude fishes so fast. But I think what he's doing there is, I don't think what's effective is that he's necessarily fishing faster. It's just that he is eliminating every bass that doesn't want to bite and only finding the ones that do want to buy and like he kept saying to me he said i think the wrong bait in the right place works every single time i think the wrong bait in the right place works every single time and so like he just picked that spinner bait up and we covered that entire little lake that we fished in a, you know like half a day and we got the seven eight nine ten bass that wanted to buy to buy and then he wasn't worried about any of the rest of them you know what i mean it, i don't know it's it's interesting again a rabbit hole you know you could have every theory on planet earth about this but like it's definitely interesting, but I do think there's something to just, you got to trick them is what it is. You know, you can call a reaction bot what it is. You can call finesse bot what it is. You can drag it. You can hop it. You can pull it. You can fish it fast, fish it slow. But at the end of the day, you're tricking them. And I think we're just trying to figure out the best way to trick them in any one situation. Yeah. Well, also, Ben, dad wanted to know how many miles per hour are you fishing? So you're talking about speed. Are you fishing like five miles an hour or like? Two and a half miles an hour, like what? Yeah, the, normally I'm going the, like, like four and a half miles an hour is the retrieve uh, speed on my crankbait. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, just making sure we had to clear that up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then when I'm fishing slow, it's like slower than a, a snail crawls. What is that weird, creepy doll that's behind you? That's Jay. I feel like that's. I feel like that's a horror movie waiting to happen right that's there. That's the beginning of a right horror there. movie. Yeah, I really wish we could blow this thing up and actually like emphasize this doll and we'll just leave him as like the fourth person in the show tonight. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is the fourth screen, just the doll. There's a lot of dolls over there. It's kind of crazy. We're, we're talking his eyes just barely move. Yeah, I'd be done. I would log out. I would be like those people on TikTok. I claim no negative energy from this it post. It just starts turning its head. <laughs> You really oh, yeah. should just like put a Berkeley hat on them, and then you got your nice little sponsor plug back there. True. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I'm gonna dress them up for the videos. Yeah, there you go. I want to get back to the original question, which I think everyone's forgotten already, myself included. But I wanted to go back to clarify one thing because I'm still curious about it, Ben. You brought up this dead sticking a hair jig, and I don't want to get you in trouble, but if you're willing to divulge. When you mean dead sticking, are you dead sticking it like on the bottom or are you like Demiki rigging it? Yeah, no, it's like dead stick. Like you, the way we figured this out, golly, Dirt's is going to be real mad if, if he finds out. Okay, so <laughs> the way we figured this out, we took a 332nd ounce hair jig and we're fishing a really clear body of water up north. He casts his bait out on a spinning rod, it's letting it sink, and then Dirt's is like 
halfway like he smokes so anyways he sets his rod down goes to smoke and he can't get his lighter going so he's like pissed off his lighter's not working so he has to dig through the bottom of the boat with ron who else smokes and so ron had a lighter and he gets a cigarette lighter. that's awfully judgmental the way you're saying that i don't think i like the tone that you took when you said that <laughs> <laughs> but they smoke that's I why you have a lighter in the boat anyway no you didn't say th- they smoke it was like they smoke like like it's a problem to you but go ahead it's fine Judgmental. Yeah, no. Anyways, I get it. it's fine. so he clicks his lighter picks up his rod flips the bale over picks up his slack and his slack is like heavy sets the hook five and a half pound fish okay so God. unreal well this is the only way to get them to bite and i'm not talking like this is one of the ways to get them to bite like this is the only way they ended up catching fish to stay they had 27 pounds i had zero i didn't catch any fish because i couldn't he told me like he's like dude i don't know what i'm doing i'm literally casting a hair jig out and letting it sit on bottom i'm not doing anything with it i'm not moving my line i barely even have the bail flipped over it's pretty much slack line I'm like, dude, you're lying. Like, it's not happening that way. There has to be an additional factor because I'm trying to do the same thing. And then I ended up getting on the bite a different day, like three weeks later. And it's like you cast it out and you just, it's slack line. And occasionally you'll like reel up the slack and move the bait. And that's how slow you fish it. I mean, it's like one cast every two minutes. It's so miserably slow. But when they're really, really finicky, that bait sitting there on bottom, there's so much movement in the hair, even when the bait's dead stick, that it catches them. Mm-hmm. Is there like, is it like when there's some wind current or something going on that's kind of like moving that water around that makes that hair do that? Or is that just. No, it's just natural. Like when that marabou's underwater, there's a video from, I think it's Small Jaw, um, where when that bait is sitting still, that hair, just the natural water movements, and I'm sure the water moving on your line or whatever it is, the hair just breathes and it expands and it gets really big um, and it catches really good. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Let's try that now. Thanks, so, really buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he texted. No, he didn't. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you'll be a little bit. Yeah. I want to go back to the original question, Ben. And I asked Rudd this, but like, what does your off season look like when you got ice up there in Michigan? Are you doing anything to prep? Yeah, it's all it's all fishing related for the most part. I mean, obviously with two kids, it all changed because I'm inside a lot more than I want to be. But um, like, it's all fishing related. I got to clean the garage, which is an absolute mess. Like, so 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 much stuff that I just need to clean up in the garage. Um, And then I have the bait making channel. And I know you guys just signed with Do It, but like the bait making channel is sort of like my outlet to get out of the house and get out in the garage and make stuff. Um, so I'll be tying jigs, tying hair jigs, making plastics, and just doing a whole bunch of different things. Um, yeah, that is yeah, one kind of uh, for folks that are just yeah for folks that are just our MP3 listener listeners. That's going to be one that we're really excited to build and build and make content off of for the YouTube channel. And I think eventually, and I know Rudd, you are also working with them this year too, uh, and you've been you know making baits in your in your past. Uh, Andy on our channel, he's been very experienced with it. I'm going to be picking all of your guys' brain. You're probably going to hate me by by August because I'm going to ask so many <laughs> dang questions getting into this thing. Uh, but it's going to be pretty cool just for the whole custom tackle part and be able to really tinker. And I think that's the cool part with it because how many times we've been on the water, 
you're using a bait and you're like, man, I wish they made it like this, this. You look on the internet and there's not really anything that you're kind of looking for, but now you kind of have that option where you can go and try and make it yourself. I think that's yeah, so, so intriguing. I'm looking forward to that. I went out there and went all mad scientists just a little while ago before we got on here and like, like it was, some of it was good, some of it was bad, some of it was indifferent. But like once I get back into the swing of things, I'm gonna just be out there. I'll probably be high as a kite off those plastic fumes. I'm gonna have to get me like a really nice respirator and some good ventilation because I'm gonna be just pouring stuff up like a madman. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be very interesting. Especially I'm sitting here. I have like a whole garage rented out from my apartment complex. And it's like not attached to our building. So I'll obviously have that garage door open. I'm going to be there with like the mittens on and everything, cooking something up. And I'm just waiting for somebody this year to call the cops on me while I'm doing it. I can't, I'm going to have to be recording it the whole time too. That'll be, that'll be the day. <laughs> oh, Karen across the street. I know it's meth. I can smell it. There's smoke just billowing out of this. It's billowing out of there. He burns a whole pot of plastic. It's just everything's on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Local meth lab blows up. It was soft plastics, please. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, I got the I got the Hobie in the garage too, and they're like, he's smuggling it with a kayak. <laughs> <laughs> he's crossing the border in a kayak, selling meth. Oh god. That's Damn funny. Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> Damn Canadians. Uh, All right. Let's uh let's start diving into. I mean, forty minutes later, but diving into tonight's topic of like trying to make improvements, you know, into the new year and like as an angler trying to, to highlight like what you think your gaps are. And Andy Deacon and I were talking about this a few weeks back of like the advantage of running a GoPro, whether you're posting it or not, but like saving that film and being able to, you know, your memory only captures certain parts, like in terms of like retention so like you might remember a certain catch like or how something went down but like you can go back on GoPro film and look at it and see completely different or maybe a whole different angle to like catching a fish or losing a fish or maybe why you lost a fish at the boat like there's certain things where in your mind you're like oh I didn't do anything wrong but you could look back in your GoPro footage and see it but my question to you guys is like do you take time to like go back and keep this film look at it and kind of like whether it's you know, a week later or months later, but do you guys look at this stuff to see kind of what you might want to work on or just as like game film? I mean, the I don't, editing process, you're going to interrupt me like that one more time. Yeah. I don't necessarily go back and look at it later unless like I have a catastrophic issue, right? Like unless I'm losing a ton of fish, whether it's a rod issue or whether it's um, I'm not landing the fish very well. And I can think of like one specific instance and a guy that I'm friends with now, Will Daniels, is the one that pointed it out. I was drop shotting with an extra fast rod that I built. Um, and I loved it, especially for like really heavy drop shot weights. But like going back and look at the footage, when I set the hook on those fish and they come up at the boat, that rod, because it was so fast, it would like unload every time that that fish would make a surge on me and I would lose a bunch of fish. And I can think about the times, like I went back to this video probably three or four times to figure out like, oh man, like what really was going wrong? But aside from that, like it's only the, it's only like the one or two times unless I have something catastrophically go wrong. But I will say, dude, like running another camera other than just a chesty is really where a lot of like my information comes from. Like the chest camera only captures like 
this much of a piece of information. And for a long time, it was all about like hiding the lakes and hiding the spots and not running a back camera because I didn't want to show the shoreline. But there's so much that that camera in the back will show you, um, especially paired with the chess camera. Yeah, I was just going to say that, did these freaking, can y'all hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, good. These these headphones, they, they unattach and they reattach, and then I hear ghost voices and everything. I'm pretty sure I picked up a signal from the Russians just then. What I was going to say is that the editing process is what helps me to go back and review my day. I mean, like just editing the video, you know, because you're going to look at a piece of footage 12 times before you go past it, you know, just trying to fit it into the story of all, you know, of the day and all that. But man, I'm telling you, one thing that it really helps me to see is like boat positioning. I started running that back camera, like Ben said, and that back camera, man, it really opened my eyes to like, oh, I caught that fish because my boat or my kayak was positioned a specific way. And that's one thing that it really helped me to do was just to get that kind of the boat positioning down, you know what I mean? Which is fascinating. And then, you know, losing fish, obviously. I mean, every fish that I lose, I watch it. Like I watch it, I save it, and I watch it just to try to figure out what was what went wrong? You know what I mean? And some of them, there's nothing you can do. Like I had a smallmouth launch itself four foot above my kayak. I mean, there's nothing I can do about that. Like, you know, he's, he's, I'm at his will at that point, but then there's others that I lose right next to the boat. And I realize it's stuff like what Ben said, you know, you know, the rod I was using, just it unloaded. And when it unloaded, it threw slack in that line and that fish got leverage and he was gone, you know? So I agree with Ben. I, for the most part, I don't really go back and watch things. Um, outside of the editing process unless it's just something i'm trying to figure out like something that just egregiously went wrong you know what i mean yeah here's a a good tool that brendan i i apologize ahead of time i i'm not even going to try to pronounce your last name uh because i will guarantee i'll butcher it uh but he said uh, does anyone keep records of their fishing trips in order to try and gain info from past trips to help you in the future uh not only have I done this, but I've seen countless people do it uh, themselves. Is like either when it's in the boat or at home, uh, guys will keep like either a notebook or composition notebook or something along those lines. And uh, they'll take a day, they'll record the date, you know, to maybe times if they're getting really hyper specific and record like conditions that day and like what they learned. Like if something really significant happens, I had a buddy that I would fish with and like when something significant happens or clicks and we'll talk about it, he will force himself to remember to get down the bottom of the boat, get his notebook out, write everything down before he continues to fish again. And the dude's one of the best in New York state now. And I want to say that's a, a good reason, not the, the biggest reason, but a, a big contributing factor was taking those notes, mental notes. Um, and we even see guys doing that now with their graphs. It's like they'll mark a waypoint when something happens and they'll write notes in it. I think Lawrence like, has like a notes feature. Um, ben, you have to tell me, I don't know if Garmin has the same thing. But like you can actually literally write so that when you're looking back on one of the lakes, you can actually like remember like, oh, this waypoint, this day, maybe two years ago, conditions were this and like this happened. It's it's a locking your stuff is a great way to learn, especially in the future. Like say like a year later, you know, maybe a certain time frame, you're like, oh, when they were doing this, I'm pretty sure they go here and do this. But like if you don't remember, you didn't log it. It's hard to you know, really know for sure. But if you keep that log, you can help, kind of help you get back on track. 
Yeah, yeah I'm gonna I tread really carefully. I'm gonna tread really carefully. I should just start calling out names. So you... Yeah. Ben, you get to go first. Alex, you go second. No, Ben, go ahead, buddy. Raise no, your I'm hand. Gonna, I'm gonna tread pretty carefully on this one because I use Angler for a while. Um, and it seems like every year or every, you know, couple months I use Angler and I really, really want it to be what I want it to be, which is beyond just like a fish tracking app, like beyond just like that moment in time, I want there to be this functionality where I can now go back and search through all the data or like pull it into a spreadsheet or pull it into a platform where now I can use it as like a true logbook. And like, it's so advanced because it does track all that information for you, weather, um, location, waypoints and everything else. My problem is that there's no effective way to go back and like actually break it down. Okay. And say like on this lake, this time of year between these dates what bait was i using what pattern were they in where what depth like what area which obviously requires a little bit more connectivity or input from me too but like until it gets to that point like virtual logbooks are so hard i don't know an effective way other than having like a spreadsheet right like a google doc sheet um on my phone that i would i would input the data in the, the reason Angler is nice, if they ever come out with that feature, is because it does it all for you currently. All you got to do is like input the bait you were using. So was it's it kind of my perspective. Dates, though? It tracks your dates, weather, uh, time of day, I mean, everything. I mean, you could kind of like mm-hmm. almost use it as like a tool in hand with like, say, a notebook or, or maybe a, you have like a Google Doc or something like that. You can kind yeah, of use it. You have and to see where you got bit. Yeah. See, what I do is I make sure and date all of my footage for the day that it was filmed in my hard drive. So, like, everything, like, I'll label it lake name, the date that it was filmed, and, like, a general idea of what I was doing that day. So, like, if it's kayak tournament, 12-15, you know, Norse Lake, whatever it is. Um, And then another thing I do is that I screenshot the weather just on my phone. Like, I have, like... I mean, I can't tell you how many screenshots of weather. They're like, if I have a really good day, I just pull up like the weather app, screenshot it, because then you got sunrise, sunset, temperature, barometric pressure, you know, the the weather for that day, wind, all of it right there. And it's just something I just have. And then that obviously has the date on it, so that I can just correspond the dates of the dates of the footage in my hard drive. And there you go. That's kind of how I do it. I mean, that's something that I focus on because again like ben said you know the angler app's good and i used it for a while and it just got to the point i mean it was more of a hassle for me to turn it on and to use it than it was for me to just do it the way that i normally do it and keep up with it that way you know what i mean and maybe that's just me being lazy but i have a system and i'm a little adhd and like if i don't do my things in the certain order that i do them in shit gets forgotten and so i do the things that i do because it's what works so here's a really good one. If you turn your location services on on your phone for your photos and you take your photos, you can actually look at the map and the mm-hmm. date that it was taken. However, if you send someone that photo, they can go exactly in and they can get yeah. the waypoint information from that photo. So like, I'll show you real quick. If you I'm take a photo. People that live near the, the lakes that I'm fishing this year and asking them to send me some fish pics. Like if you go to your places, right? Like you can go down to like location history of where fish were 
like photos were taken. Okay, so here's a photo of my wife with some fish and you go to the information and it gives you down to like the waypoint of that location. Mm-hmm. Ben's like crap. I shouldn't have said. See, like <laughs> it will take you like to the exact waypoint of that location. It's in the it blue part you. of the lake. <laughs> it's in the water. <laughs> but like you can pull it up on a map with the actual like longitude latitude of that location. Then you just plug it in your map. Yeah. But don't mm-hmm. send it to anyone because you're gonna be crying when all your spots. Yeah, are I'm gonna kind of have to rethink who I'm sending pictures to. <laughs> you gotta be careful. <laughs> Because if you get a hold of a real tech-savvy SOB, you can actually pull the metadata off of an Instagram post and figure that stuff out, too. I think you got to remember this now. Like, if you're a tournament guy and your buddy's telling you he's on them and he's fishing the same tournament and he's sending you those, those like, upward – or, like, the, the fish selfies yeah. where you only see the sky, now you, now you know it yet. I mean, that's real, though. Like, you can pull up the metadata on those photos if they have location services turned on for photos. It's crazy. <laughs> If you're fishing on the lake before, like when you're at the ramp, turn it off. <laughs> yeah. Turn it off. Unless you're in a kayak. I, I found this all the wrong way. I found this all the wrong way. Dirds and I were taking photos and we sent it to our buddy. And they're like, oh, thanks. And they sent us like a pin on Google Maps of where we were. And I'm like, how did they do this? And then they're like, <laughs> by the way, turn off, turn off your metadata or turn off your location services. Yeah, it's funny. In stride of that, like I used to work a little bit with Angler like two years back and Derek Horner over there is a good buddy of mine. And I was out fishing a lake that we both fish. Uh, and one of the days he's like, he's like, I think it was like 10 a.m. or something. He's like, you only caught 20 fish so far? And I was like, I was like looking around, like wondering what the heck, like no one else is on the lake. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, you're fishing, aren't you? I was like, yeah. He goes, I'm watching you. And I'm like, I don't see you anywhere, dude. Like, where are you? And he like sent me a, a picture of him, like, because he can see angler data being that he works for him where I was fishing. I'm like, yeah, I'm done using this app on this lake because he fishes against me in tournaments here. <laughs> That's funny, man. Yeah. And I'll tell you this much. I'm going to go ahead and Snapchat location services. Snapchat, too. If you have a location services turned on, it'll show you in a boat. It'll show you to the pinpoint of where you're at. No, and I'll go ahead yeah. and tell you this much right now. Don't give me anything. Don't give me a skyline. Don't give me a tree. Don't give me a damn boat ramp. Don't give me a blurred out background. I can promise you I'll find it on Google Earth. Ben, is it not creepy how good I am at it? Like I literally, I found a spot one time off a, a like a two second piece of drone footage and I found a freaking shoal found the island shape and everything took me about an hour but i found it and i now know a really good spot to go fishing because of that like it's it, I'm, I'm it's i don't know where i got it i don't know if it's obsession or what it is but i, I uh, i'll track you down don't give me anything i'll find where you're at i know where you live i have a special so, set of skills what what are the rules on this right because like i hosted a meetup um and we used tourney x well, I got everyone's longitude latitudes that they turned in from Turniacs. Like, what are the rules of of that for like bigger organizations? Because I know that has to be turned on. I think someone in my well, I know Fisherman Gramps and KBF oh, has to have it on. Yeah. Well, what pisses me off is I know some guys who are tournament organizers in kayak tournaments that I've fished in that have gone and fished stuff because I had to be on the picture. When I submitted it, it's all it was on the picture when I submitted it. 
Yeah. Oh, dude, I've had. I mean, it was it was local. I was leading a tournament going into like the last two hours, and one of the tournament directors just all of a sudden find me in my little honey hole, and told me he was at the north end. Or he t- didn't tell me. He told my buddy that he went from all the way from the north end, Giant Lake, pulled out, drove down, launched. And went and found my location and told another guy that who just happened to be one of my best friends and told me. So, like, I've known tournament directors that go and use that stuff. So, like, it's all there. Like, tournament directors have access to it, especially, like, those those monthly onlines. Like, you're getting the juice holes across the state. Like, it's you, – you have to have it on for it in order to be, like, legally competing and stuff like that. Does it submit where the picture was taken, or can you move to somewhere else on the lake and it submit from there? You can submit from there. So, like, well, it depends. The photo location, I mean, that is from wherever the photo is taken. But, like, um, Tourney X takes from wherever you submit the weight. Oh, really? Interesting. So, like, wherever you actually submit. Well, unless unless your location services have to be on for that specific event, right? Like, when you take the photo. Yeah, I so, think like any of like the legitimate like KBF, BASS, or Hobie events, like you have to have location on that shows where that picture is taken. That so that it proves that either one, you're not like in some marina or something like that you're not supposed to be. Yeah, to take that makes sense. Cheating. Hmm. It's super interesting to me, like the, the ethics of it. I get it, but at the same time, like, man, that's tough. I love how this episode's about improving as an angler in the new year. We're talking about location services on pictures. Hey, man, that's a great way to improve next season. Like, get your buddies to send you some pictures and find their spots and everything else. And we have a new guest joining us, a little furry one. We have. You know what this cat's name is? Uh, it looks like your beard. I know that. Its name is Tit. T-I-T. Like what is on a boob. We call her Kit the Tit. Because she is just a little titty. She cross-eyed or is that just me? Uh, she's a little cross-eyed. She, her eyes are a little screwed up. You done? Okay, she's done. She wants no more. My family's there had a go. few cats, and the only one that was cool was the one that was cross-eyed and real dumb. That was my favorite. <laughs> just cross-eyed and real dumb. I've had a couple friends like that. Just cross-eyed and real dumb. We're real good guys. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Oh, that's good. So let's let's dive into this quick. Because I'm pretty curious what you guys have to say, because it's it's kind of some self-reflection. But, like, looking back on this year, like, going into next year, what would you guys say is, like, your biggest weakness? Ben, go ahead, bud. I think for me the biggest thing – Because I've got is, nothing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this season was, was fishing history. Like, I fished the same bodies of water a decent bit. I mean, it was first real year with having a kid and, like, so I'd only go to the same couple spots. And so I fish history quite a bit and it burned me. Um, or just kind of like, I guess, making adjustments on the water based on the physical conditions. I didn't do a great job of that this year. Whereas I think in the past, I would literally go out and like find areas and like find spots on that day. And so that that is kind of where I struggled. Granted, it also helped me catch a lot of big fish this year. So, Well, I mean... That, that's also like people talk about like the weekend angler, right? Like the guys that only get those two days, whether dependent to like go out and fish. So a lot of those guys are the same guys that'll go out and fish the same spot every year. Cause they know that at least they'll have a shot or like fish should be around. 
Whereas the guys that are able to be out, you know, four or five times a week are the guys that are going to know every nook and cranny, know what's going on every situation of the week. Whereas like, especially in your case, like you, like when having the kid, you have minimal time windows, especially for you wanting to create content. Like you're kind of almost forced to that. You don't really have a time to go and go completely well, different. The other cool, the other cool thing, man, is like Dirds and I have had this conversation quite a bit. It seems like the first time we ever go to a body of water is like one of our best times going there. And I think the reason for that is because we go there very much blind and we just fish conditions. So yes, it's, it's a benefit. It's also a, a huge hindrance. Brad, what about you, D? What was your biggest weakness? Dude, it's the same thing every single year. It's electronics. I don't, I mean, dude, I just don't use them. <laughs> like I, it's just the way that I like to fish. I mean, I don't, I, I finally bought a small graph for my kayak just so I can get depth and temperature. Um, but like on my boat, I mean, there was times that I literally didn't even turn my graphs on. I just go put my boat in the water and, and go flip and go pitch and go do stuff like that. Um, one weakness that I would still consider it a weakness of mine because I'm still working on it is just kind of like what Ben said was adjusting to the bot, right? And I'm getting better at it because now I'm a lot more willing to lay down the crankbait or lay down the chatterbait and pick up a Ned rig. And I think it's just because I'm starting to gain more and more confidence in it. You know, a video I put out the other day was a great example of that. They weren't buying a rock crawler. And so I knew what I had to do was pick up that freaking Ned rig and go drag it. And I caught some fish doing that. And so I went from a day where I was going to get probably zero to just a few bites that actually turned into a productive day where I was able to make a video. But, um, yeah, man, for me, I mean, it, I, I know if I would spend time on my electronics that I would probably be able to go capitalize on different bots than what I get on. But that being said, I figured out stuff with the river fishing in the summer that I don't have to go get in 25 foot of water and be out there with every other person that I can go and do what I like to do in the summer. So I'm going to say electronics just because I know that they, they're valuable and I could probably use them a little bit more than I use them, even in shallow water, figure some stuff out, and then just adjust into a bot and then being more willing to finesse fish is kind of my, my two big ones. Will we see you getting any forward-facing sonar this year? Uh, Maybe. I got to figure out. I, I'm probably getting a new boat. I am getting a new boat. I just have to sell my boat and I've got a, a serious, serious look. I'm actually going this weekend to talk to him about it. Um, But the new boat has uh, hummingbirds on it. And I don't know if the hummingbird on the front is is compatible with the the new Mega Live. Yeah, well, but if it... it I, I'm I'll be honestly I'm not sure. I could look at back at my text messages and tell you. That dude, that's it. I mean, like seriously, that's like how little it matters to me. Like like I just know that it has down like I can get some down imaging and I can get temperature and I can put a map on it. Like that is like how just rudimentary I actually am with electronics. Um, but if it doesn't have that ability, I'll probably most likely get another hummingbird that's got it on there and stick it on there because i mean dude it it's man like people are just whacking people's asses in tournaments down here and like posting 30 pound bags of largemouth that they're catching on forward facing sonar I, mean, I know the power of it it's just that i'm the kind of guy that doesn't want to buy the three thousand dollar bullet and go buy it you know what i mean so that's and that's another thing i think like you know 
I obviously have the money to go buy that, right? I mean, I have the the even the the reason to go buy it, right? Because Alex are fishing. Like I go buy it and make videos about it, whatever. But it's like still at the same time, I gotta almost keep myself, and I try to make decisions based on somebody who doesn't get rods and reels sent to me, who can't afford to just go buy all that brand new stuff. So it kind of keeps me in that frame of mind of like, hey, this shit costs a lot of money. And like the normal guy just can't go drop three grand on it. You know what I mean? Well, like, man, there's so many conversations right now about like, oh man, I've never seen so many big fish caught. I've never seen so many big fish posted by people. But like, end of the day, it's still the same guys posting the same, like pictures of big fish that were just posting pictures of slightly bit, slightly smaller fish before live solo, yeah. right? Like it's not making no names go out and catch a lot bigger fish than, than like they were before. You still have mm-hmm. to know how to locate fish and know how they move around to be good with forward facing. It just helps you like if you can locate them, helps you catch more of them and target well, more fish. I tell you what it has done is that it's taken tournaments and it's taken these tournaments, even like 150 boat tournaments around here from it takes 20 pounds to win to it takes 26, 27 pounds to win. That's what it's done. And it, and Ben's right. I mean, if you really think about it, the difference between a 20 pound bag and a 25 pound bag really isn't that big of a difference. But if you can find two fish that are, are a pound and a half more than what they you would normally catch you got yourself a 25 pound bag you know what i mean or a 23 or 24 pound bag and so yeah ben's right i don't know it's very interesting to me i think the biggest thing that interests me about forward facing sonar isn't the traditional like up and down it's that flat like the flat viewpoint okay. like we're but but because yeah. that fits your style right like yeah. that is that fits your style so much more Whereas for me, like I like fishing open water and fishing for smallmouth that typically hang out around, you know, isolated pieces of cover or suspend. And so like, for me, that's the benefit, but dude, like for you to have the ability, whether it's 360 live or whether it's, you know, their version of live imaging, right? Like it, it would totally change. I mean, help you fish. The one thing about 360, 360 um, mega or whatever is that it's not live. And I think that hurts Hummingbird at this point in time. Granted, they have like what portrait mode or, or. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's still, they call it landscape is exactly what you're talking about where you're able to kind of, it's almost like a, essentially a cut of like a live 360 is what I think Lorenz Garmin and Hummingbird all have, have that mode. But, um, but like, yeah, I mean, 360, I think, still has its place in terms of you still get that 360 view versus just a cut. But I do understand the point of like guys go running, you know, two live scopes or two mega lives or two active targets and having two different, uh, different transducers running and having two different angles. Like I think there was a piece of David Mullins running that and basically has two transducers. One is running just your typical, can't remember what exactly that, it's like basically just your standard live scope and he has one which caught Ben was portrait mode. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Garmin's is perspective. Um, perspective. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see how that kind of divulges, but I could see for, for you, right. I see 360 kind of, I see it being an advantage for you for how you fish, but also I agree with Ben's point that with how fast you fish, it might not be as like, 
as updated as quick as like say if you had that perspective mode on a live seminar yeah. where you I can think, like quick I think log. Yeah, see that's me. That's what I want. I just want to be able to go whoop. Oh look, there's a tree five feet off the bank that I didn't know was there and throw a jig to it. Because that's one thing I will say that I worked on a lot this year was like when the water was down was just literally just putting my trouble motor down and just like going, Oh, there's a stump there. Oh, there's this there. Oh, there's that there. And then going back and just like when the water was back up, even though the stump was only in like eight foot of water, I'd never seen it before and dragging a jig through the stump and getting a bot. And so being able to do that, like, in lot in real time and not have to wait for the water to be down be able to just go to an area and pan through it and go oh there's six stumps here and there's five fish swimming around around here dude i mean i think that's where it takes like even me a guy who's not big into electronics and gets me really big into electronics really fast because it fits it right into my style of fishing and the only concern i do have about it and maybe y'all can answer this for me how does it react to river current like it's moving fine. water, so it just punches right through it. Yeah, it's fine. The same with debris; it doesn't really have an issue on it, um, unless like big floating, like leaves or something. Um, yeah. My biggest struggle with perspective is I want it to work in deeper water, and mm. it's also like almost disorienting because I have it on the same pole as my um, trolling motor. So when I change the trolling motor angle, like that picture changes, and so like I have to understand, okay. This, when I'm pointing straight at it, is exactly where, like, it's straight in front of the boat. But when I turn that trolling motor, I now have to figure out, okay, like, where is it at in relation to the boat? Mm -hmm. I like yeah, that thing that Edwin had, which was it yeah. kept it separate. Whatever, I don't know what it's called. But, like, he had a thing that it, he had his trolling motor pedal, but then he could turn. So, like, when we were spotlocked, his live scope turned separate from the trolling motor. Yeah. And dude, it was it was badass. Like that that I like that a lot more too because then it allowed me or, or would allow me to spot lock and then look where I wanted to look. I think the biggest thing, man, is to me this is in the same position that side view was. Like when when side imaging originally came out, it was only with Hummingbird, right? Mm -hmm. You had side imaging only with Hummingbird to start, and then you had your side scan with Lorenz. And it took I mean, how many years for people to actually be able to afford side imaging? Because it was never really affordable. You had to buy a different transducer, an adapter, or, or you had to buy something else. Once this technology becomes available or like, it's pretty much available for all the pros. I don't think at the pro level, you're going to see it shift a lot. Like, yes, it's made Patrick Walters really, really effective because he's really, really good with it. He's putting the time with it. But like the pro level, you're not seeing a, that big of a shakeup. It's at these amateur levels that you're seeing guys like choose not to buy it or or not being able to afford it, right? Like, mm -hmm. see so if some that are really able to afford it, and, and guys that were mid level to good be really really good, or you know guys just figure out how to catch them shallow or doing what they were doing before they had it. That's where I think the major difference is right now. Yeah, and I think for you know talking about the pros real quick there's very few pros that i think like it really changed their game like a, like a walters where you see him doing a lot of that or you see you know like a wheeler or dustin connell that their head is always down i think for guys that you know you, we mentioned earlier that are usually always around fish but now it gives them a capability of maybe seeing a group of fish that they weren't capable of seeing in that area or 
like they they always put themselves around fish, but now they can see a different group of fish that they weren't accessing before. And it kind of mm-hmm. gives them a way of, and, and some guys don't even use it for that purpose of like trying to catch fish. It's more of, and I got to talk to Seth fighter about this, you know, after his AOI season. And basically he told me over the phone was, he goes, I'm not using mega live really to catch fish. I'm using it to waste less time to make me more efficient because I can tell really fast if those fish are reacting to my bait or not, and I can make decisions a lot quicker. And I think that might even be more impactful than actually like trying to target specific fish, but just being a time saver. And I don't think it's going to take the pros a long time once they have it on the boat to figure out how to be effective with it. But I think like there's different guys using it for different things and there's so many uses for it whether it's seeing how quickly they react to it whether they're seeing fish in a specific piece of cover or structure so they don't fish it but the fact is like seeing fish on a piece of cover or structure guys are able to do that now with side imaging like it, like this is not although it's helping me and it's helping like recreational anglers do that like those guys are so good with their graphs for the most part like they can tell it without using forward facing well, I think what all this proves is that what I say over and over and over again, fishing is anecdotal. Every single person is going to have a vastly different experience than any other person, right? And they're going to experience the use of certain pieces of equipment in vastly different ways than other guys are going to use pieces of equipment. You know, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we need to understand is that like a Patrick Walters is going to use live scope or whatever he uses in a very different way than Seth Fighter is going to use it in a very different way than if John Cox had it, he was going to use it. You know what I mean? Yeah, John it's Cox like, would just cut the cord. He'd be like, we're going to have this on here for the, for the hummingbird people to be happy, but like we're cutting this yeah. cord off here. <laughs> yeah, he uses I mean, the box of storage in his truck. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, dude, like that's me. I mean, that's the way I look at electronics and I mean, maybe my anecdotal experience would change if I, if I really spent a lot of time with it and like, yeah, I would love to have it. It's just the way that I fish and what I like to do, man. I mean, most of the time I'm in so shallow a water that I've got my trolling motor so high up under the boat that the, the freaking transducer probably wouldn't even be in the water, you know? And so, yeah. so anecdotal, man. I mean, so anecdotal. I think that, you know, anybody that says that forward facing sonar is the devil is just, bitching because they're getting beat by it and they don't want they either i can't afford it which sucks that that sucks if you want it and can't afford it man i I, that just sucks or you just don't want to i don't know admit that you need it you know or whatever that looks like but fishing so anecdotal man i mean i hate anybody that says this is how you do this and this is the only way or this is the best way because this is the only way and this is the best way does not exist in fishing. I can promise you that. The more and more I'm around really good fishermen, the more I realize that it is a thousand different factors that make you catch fish, you know? So. Yeah. And I think to, to end the, the electronic conversation, cause we could go on for hours about this, but I don't, and I don't know if this trend will be universal well, like you're kind of seeing it where you're at, Rudd, like Chickamauga, where John Cox won on a few years back. Like you're seeing electronics become so predominant in these in these areas, like these concentrated areas or specific lakes that this shallow game is becoming really good again. Whereas yep. the offshore game years ago was really good because everyone was shallow. You're seeing a shift where 
I don't know if it'll happen everywhere. Like I said, I don't think it'll be a universal trend, but there's going to be places that that these electronics will be good, it'll be useful, but the shallow game is going to be get really good again because it's going to get less pressure because everyone's going to have more than they already do. I mean, everyone who's being Well, the other day the other day was a great example. I got really pissed off at a guy because he cut me off. And then I realized that, no, he didn't cut me off. He was out there panning around in the middle of nothing while I was fishing up the bank. And I was catching fish going up the bank. And I got up to him and wanted to have a, have a conversation with him. Come to find out he hadn't caught anything because he was out there in the middle of the lake doing figure eights. And the thing is, is think, I think it just depends on the day. I think it depends on the angler. I think it depends on the bite. But I think you're right. I think we're going to see a rise of shallow water fishing again. I think guys like me and guys like John Cox and dudes who go and beat the bank and flip a jig are going to start catching a lot more fish because, man, it is the truth. I mean, definitely down here, I've seen it. People just don't get on the bank anymore like they used to. And if they do, and this is the only way that I can say it, they're in more affordable boats with more affordable electronics and more affordable equipment and they're not in 90 and a hundred thousand dollar glass boats because those dudes normally have forward-facing sonar and they're out in the middle of nothing tossing an a-rig at a tree that's in 65 foot of water you know so <laughs> casting a-rigs at asian carp swimming around everywhere thinking they're bass yeah well, right, the, the biggest right. thing in Bass Fishing HQ put it the best way is it's going to level the field again. We're going to have the ability to do whatever you want and be pretty much competitive, except under like very certain situations where like you need it to really be competitive. But like on those southern fisheries, now everyone can compete again because you can do exactly what you want. If you'd like to fish shallow and you're really good at fishing shallow, you can go up and beat the bank because there's a good quality of fish there. If you want to fish deep and you want to be really good using your electronics and fishing deep water, you can do that now. If you want to fish mid-depth, like you have the ability. So no more is it like, okay, man, the shallow game is ruined. We got to push out deep or the deep game is ruined. We have to push shallow like people can do exactly what they want now and i actually think it like levels the field more especially as we see forward facing pressure more of these offshore fish and fish get more you know pressured by it yeah i always just say what's next though like what are where do we go from here you know what i mean like i just like i always love this conversation because it always leads to that last thing is like where the hell do we even go from here now you know we can literally see them out there swimming around Dude, you know what had me thinking at ICAST that like completely got like swept under the rug and no one was really talking about was there were glasses in ICAST that you could literally have like a, there's like a mapping chip in it. When you put it on, you could basically see like your Navionics or your Lake Master in front of you. It's like you're sitting on your front deck of your boat and you're looking in front of you and it shows you the hump and topographics like on your glasses. And that That's got me I thinking think, like, yeah. if you combine shades with like a live scope, like basically you're in infrared and it just showed you the fish. Yeah, it's AR, it's, uh, right? Like that's pretty it, much the yeah. next thing. Artificial reality, augmented yeah. reality. Not VR, yeah. or yeah, augmented reality, yeah. Not VR, but like, yeah. Yeah, probably. Or mapping, oh, right? Sorry. Like I think that's, that's where your next thing is, is mapping, right? Like the ability to have either more precise mapping or ultra accessible mapping, which would be in your AR. But I don't know how right. long that is. Yeah. So there's a really good question here uh, from Brendan with the last name that I won't pronounce again because I'll butcher it. 
Uh, but he has another really good question, and it's how do you evaluate and improve on decision making when it's time to switch a bait, shape, color, location, etc. And like, I think that this is like the the toughest thing possible in fishing is decision making, and it's one that you'll never, I don't think, really get good at. You'll just get more consistent, I guess, if that makes sense. And I'm taking a stab at this, guys, and feel free to interrupt, chime in, or add on. Um, I You're think wrong, in order no, to, <laughs> I mean, most likely I'm just wrong in general, but no, uh, you're good. I think if you, if you want to take a stab at improving your decision-making, I mean, most likely you're fishing local trails or maybe regional trails. And if you are fishing national trails and you're, you're struggling with this, I think you just got to be comfortable with failure in terms of you need to just like take your best judgment, put yourself in the situation, like what conditions are happening in front of you and be willing to like take a leap and try something that like puts you out of your comfort zone to like, cause you won't figure it out if something's working, if you don't try it, you just need to be willing to, you know, if, if you're really good at fishing docks, but it's not happening for you, you need to be willing to go fish that grass. That's, you know, 50 yards away fishing that grass line, or maybe it's, you need to get more comfortable with your electronics, like rather say it and get out and actually just start looking for offshore structure. Maybe they're offshore it's being able to willing to take that leap and it's more of a mental thing and then anything else. You could be a really good angler, but like if you can't make the right decisions, then it doesn't mean much of anything. What do you guys think? Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is just experience and time on the water, right? Like getting more miles on it to the point where things start to click and make sense and you can build off of other decisions you've made. And the best year I ever had fishing was, the year that I was basically spending as much free time as I possibly could on the water. And it wasn't always on the same body of water. It wasn't always on the same lake, but spending more time on the lake gave me the understanding of what these fish kind of were doing and the patterns they were in and how I could run different things. But beyond that, like I was able to build off momentum and confidence. So when I go out and smash them and I go out and have really good days, I then could go out a few days later and kind of continue that momentum. So just be on the water more to give yourself more experience and like more data points to be able to connect together, but also um, to kind of continue that momentum and keep that ball rolling. It's not going to happen overnight, right? Like I think that's what makes some of the best, the best Seth Bider, for example, fished exactly how he wanted to fish this year and just kept the momentum rolling and kept the ball going. But like when these guys have these really long breaks, I think that's when you start to see a guy is um, either like lose momentum or start to pick up bad momentum or actually turn the season around. Yeah. I think for me, the biggest, I mean, what Ben said, I mean, time on the water, I always tell people I'm a good summer fisherman because I spend the most time on the water in the summer. That's when I have off. And I literally have three months. I can go fish every single day and go figure out the bite. But I think for me, at least, man, I call it instinctual fishing. And I don't know how to explain it to people where they can like take it and try to go do it themselves. But like, you know, there's that commercial, I think it's Jordan Lee. And he's like, you know, trust your instincts, trust your gut. If you, you know, feel something, go do it and just go fishing or whatever that is. Dude, it's like the truth. Like, I just know, I guess, and it's from what Ben said, time on the water. It's like, I know in any given situation, I have like a file decks of just ideas and things in my head that I can run through that I can go 
okay, they should be doing this. So let's go try this for 30 or 30 minutes to an hour. And if it doesn't work, well, then I know this other thing that we should work and let's go try that for 30 minutes to an hour. And, and normally within my fishing experiences, I've had enough of them up to this point outside of maybe fishing like the West coast or like something like that, that I can go about anywhere, especially on the East coast, North to South and go, let me try these three things really quick. And one of them, kind of what I was talking about earlier and alluding to earlier with what Edwin said, the wrong thing in the right place will start to catch fish. And I think even if you're throwing not exactly what you should be throwing, that if you start to like figure out what the right place that those fish should be in, you can figure out a pattern and being the anecdotal experience that fishing is almost build your own bot. You know what I mean? And so I don't know. I, I've just done very instinctual things like that in my fishing time on earth. I mean, like there's a bot around me that's a whopper plopper in the middle of July on bluff walls. And I picked up a whopper plopper because I saw big balls of bait swimming around and I just did it and it worked. And so now that's in the file decks of ideas that I have. You know what I mean? Yeah. What the? I, th I think there's something to. They're getting a weird box in here, man. Dude, uh, I, I that, don't that, know. That got so hyperly aggressive. I went from explaining my fishing experience to a small glance over to the comment section. It was so hyperly aggressive that I am, I am stunned. I am shook right now. Zero, two, <laughs> yeah, zero to five hundred. The people, someone over in my comment section was uh, just botting some stuff that would probably get my channel in big trouble. <laughs> Figures it's Ben that gets us in all this trouble. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and ben I think shows uh, up and he brings with him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think adding on that too, which kind of leads into one of my biggest weaknesses in the past few years uh, and something I want really want to work on moving forward, not just next year, but just like, you know, future and beyond is getting away from this like fishing textbook. And it's like, there's so many times where I look back on this year that I was sitting there, either I was struggling fun fishing or I was struggling in a tournament. And the, one of the biggest things for me was like, there was a day on my home lake where I sucked in a tournament where I had them dialed in all spring until this day. And it was a weird weather day. And if I just sat back and like looked at the moment, what was happening, it would have been fine. But because I was like, this thing is so textbook, it makes sense. They should have been doing this. Like they were doing this all week, you know, and then you spin out. I think it's put, throw the textbook away, look at your conditions, fish the, the moment what's going on and fish your instincts. And like, kind of like going back on, we're talking about like, decision-making I think it was like Palahniuk that said the five second rule where it's like if you have a decision in your mind for five seconds just run with it don't let it like don't change your decision after five seconds because like that's your gut telling you to do that and it's getting away from this whole like you know bass should be doing this they have to be doing this like this this and this is happening they have to do that like if you have the time experiment with something because if nothing's working for you I mean change up something because something new is better than you know, whatever you're doing, that's not working. And worst case scenario, that doesn't work, but it's going to help your mental space because it's a new change of scenery. And that can help you maybe make a different decision later to kind of help you figure something out. If that makes any sense, I might've just completely rambled in chaos there. No, but that makes perfect sense. I mean, I think dude, 
here's my thing. I, this just may be me in the way that I think. Dude, I mean, like, just go fishing. <laughs> I think so many people, and I'm going to say this right now, and I mean, I don't know how many people are watching this or what it is, but listen to the words that's coming out my mouth. Like, just go fishing. Like, just go and just go do it. Don't quit watching every YouTube video out there. Quit reading every article. Quit overanalyzing and overthinking. I mean, grab yourself a green pumpkin jig, a black and blue jig, a white chatterbait and a green pumpkin chatterbait, a brown crawdad crankbait and an orange crawdad crankbait, and just go. Only if Alex Rudd tells you to grab these baits. This is like the most uh, Alex Rudd sure, selection And make sure you <laughs> use my Tackle Warehouse links when you do it. Um, but no, like, like for real, like, just like, but like, that's for me. Like, that's me. Like, here in East Tennessee, I can promise you I've caught enough fish here. Just like, if you've got just the basics of like a jig and a crankbait and a topwater, and a wacky rig dude you just go fishing just go do it you know what i mean like i think a lot of people look at us and look at pros and look at people that get on these hyper specific bites and these really cool bites or this specific thing and they don't realize that at their point in their angling journey that they just need to be focusing on fishing and catching a fish instead of going out and buying you know, 52 different pieces of equipment that they don't need because someone else is using it. It's just go fishing and, and go catch a bunch of fish and then start worrying about, I know Chad Hooper had this saying and he, I've heard him say it before and it was like the levels of angling and like the beginning level is just, you just want to catch a fish and then you want to catch a lot of fish and then you want to catch big fish and then you want to catch fish how you want to catch fish. And, and I think that that's like, no, I don't want to disconnect from the iPhone. No, I don't want to do that because as soon as I do that, freaking, I'm going to lose Samsung signal. Um, <laughs> I think, I think that a lot of people in in their angling journey, wherever they're at, need to realize where they're at, and they just need to like ride that horse until the next step of the angling journey comes along. Like, just go fishing. Like, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I really have. I don't know why I've been thinking about it so much lately. But it's like I'm thinking about all the crap I've got. And when you look at all the just fishing stuff I've got, there's some consistencies there. And, and, like, you look at my jig box, black and blue and green pumpkin. Yeah, there's some other crap mixed in there, some weird stuff. But it's black and blue, it's green pumpkin. You look at my, my crankbait box. I got shad, I got orange crawdads, I got brown crawdads. Yeah, there's some other weird stuff mixed in there, but it's pretty much all it. You look at my plastics. I got green pumpkin, I got black and blue. I got some morning dawn because it's a really weird specific bot that I get on. But like, it like it's just like get the big basics down. You know what I mean? It's like doing math. If you understand how to add, subtract, divide, and multiply, well then you can learn how to do trigonometry. But you gotta learn how to add, divide, you know, multiply, and whatever I just said before you can do trigonometry. Gotta be able to put. Thank the you for this. Together. Yeah, thank you for the soapbox rant that I just went on. But I, I don't know. I've just been thinking about it a whole lot lately. Like simplify it like keep it simple stupid and just go fishing i think that it was a bass university episode with uh and i've actually been asked this a bunch of times like if people think it's worth it it is worth it to get a bass university university subscription if you can afford it like if you're a student mm -hmm. like that's a great tool but i think it was ike that was saying that like in a tournament he was struggling and he was spinning out and an ike classic you know form he was just like breaking shit like you know fumes were coming out of his ears but like he took, he always has this thing where he's like, I get back to basics, get back to the basics. And he sits down and he goes, so he puts a rod down, 
He goes, first thing I look at is the sky. Is it cloudy? Is it sunny? Is there wind? I look at watercolor and I think, did I see bluegill? Did I see shad? What's around me? Look at the bank. And like, once you can clear your mind, that process one will calm you down typically. And then two will kind of help you start piecing the puzzles together. And you're just, then you can kind of start finding a rhythm, hopefully. I thought that was super interesting. And that like, is so simple, but can work really well. Yeah, I mean, and that's dude. I mean, like, I think that's why, like, I don't look at my electronics a whole lot. Like, I show up to the lake and I go, "All right, it's sunny today, and the wind's not blowing. It's probably means we have to go drag a net or rig. <laughs> like, or I show up and it's like, oh, the water's muddy, and it's April, and the water's sixty-two degrees." and the water came up um i'm gonna go hey and so I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go yeah we got a visitor i'm gonna go flip a, a creature bait like i don't know like I, i'm again just keep it simple like don't like i can said just like look at the things that you know there's been millions of fish caught without you know ten thousand dollars worth of electronics and nine thousand dollar rod and reel combos there's you know like just go go fishing yeah. Ben, introduce our friend to the show. Okay, she's not super excited. <laughs> she's not She's easily the best looking person on the street. Absolutely. Oh, that was a fart. That was a fart. There it is. I've ripped That's a few amazing. of those too, girl. Don't worry about it. Oh, oh Patient being taken away. Oh. Um, so here's actually a really good topic I want to cover really quick. I think it's super interesting. So Dirthead commented that he's rigging up a second pole this year with Floro to pitch because last year he's throwing 30-pound braid and did okay. But when he picked up 14-pound Floro, he caught a lot more fish. And I couldn't believe it took me this long to figure this out. But like last summer, I was sitting there and I was drop shot on the buddy and he had six, I had eight and he smoked me. And it's, he was like, Oh dude, like it's not because they can see the line. It's just because it gives that bait on six pound, a better presentation through the water. It lets it have a better fall. Let's the bait do its thing. Whereas the thicker the line, the less natural, uh, I guess, action that bait can have. And everyone talks about like these fish seeing the line, where, where braid, you know, there might be more of a chance for them to see it, but they, I think if anything, they hear that braid more than they can see it, which is an interesting conversation that I learned about this past year too. But like a lot of people always contribute that to fish being able to see the line, but you can, you can actually get away depending on where you're fishing. Obviously you can get away with lighter line. You'll notice you'll get a lot more bites. You just have to play those fish differently. Use different setups. Like we talk about this equation, like you can make it happen, but there's different factors you have to substitute. Like you can't just use the same setup as you're throwing with 20 pound uh, floral, go down to 14 and expect that you're going to get just as many fish in the boat. Like you might break fish off because you're still using the same rod. If that makes any sense. What do you guys, you guys have anything to add on that? Not really. Um, Bait action's a huge thing. I mean, you'll also notice it with braid where braid is actually more effective because you can go to lighter braid, which has smaller diameter. And I think that's the reason like some guys like to throw chatter bait on, braided line if you can get away with braid you're obviously going to get typically smaller diameter than um, fluorocarbon in most instances so just understand that smaller diameter to a bait is going to give the bait more action yeah 
and and the yeah. amount of stretch that's in floral and mono versus braid. I think too that people like going to the whole like bass can see it. I think people overestimate a bass's ability to discern things with its eyes as effectively as they think it can. You know what I mean? Like I had a guy talk about how he didn't like that the shad pattern crankbait didn't have a shad dot on it. And I was like, man, you got to realize like that bass's eyes is not as even complicated as yours is. Like he can't see that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but like, uh, but I do agree that I think sound more than anything, I think it's water disturbance. I, I had another conversation with somebody that I don't know if I could have tell anybody who it was, but um, they were talking about how there's been a bunch of studies done that bass more than anything can pick up on disturbances in the water but long before they can pick up on seeing it like they feel it long before they see it they hear it long before they see it and then it has to be kind of like in a general vicinity for them to actually like lock onto it with their eyes and then want to go either kill it or run away from it and so i think that's in it's interesting i don't know line is interesting i again i don't overcomplicate it 10 15 and 20 and 20 to 10 pound braid on my spinning rods i mean like literally dude that's it anybody wants to know that's how i roll <laughs> i think the funniest comment i heard this past year after like really diving into what line size and line type does this past summer was like one of my buddies goes i don't know whether to throw braid or fluorocarbon with my a rig because i feel like with the braid they can see it and I was like, dude, you're throwing an A-rig. They're seeing steel wire before they see anything else. Like, it don't matter what you're throwing. Yeah. It's just what's going to work with the rod. I thought that yeah. was the funniest thing. Is like, And that's just another example of we just we overthink everything. Yeah, like you do. said, just go fish. Yeah. It's, I think it's the plague of what we do, right? I mean, we're at a point in our angling journey where you start to microanalyze every little detail of what you're doing because you do want to – you know, catch them how you want to or catch the biggest fish possible. And so we get very, again, I will refer back to the live bait fishing thing. Dude, I mean, there's been so many people that don't do what we do, that don't enjoy doing what we do, but they'll go out there and slam their face in with a bunch of live bait because they're just going fishing. And it's because we're trying to trick the bass that we have to be so hyper fixated on little details is because we're trying to trick a a living creature with a brain you know what i mean and everybody wants to do it a certain way and they want to you know do it how they want to do it and so you gotta if you want to do that if you want to trick a living creature with a brain how you want to trick them then you better get really good at tricking them you know so yeah here's a good question i'm really curious about this for you guys and we uh i'm actually really excited for this question uh, as what's a technique or bait type not currently in your arsenal that you guys would like to explore? And I'm too excited because I'm going to kick this off and I might piss some people off, but I might not. I don't really care. Uh, dude, I really want to dive into more of the free rig. I've used it a little bit on smallmouth up here and it's been wicked. Uh, but the free rig is like becoming more and more popular. I don't know if you guys have seen that. It's a cool deal. Yeah, the free rig pisses it. me off. It drives me absolutely insane. And the, dude, it hooks fish so funny. And so, like, I'll catch them like in the bottom of the mouth, or I'm gonna catch them like because of the way that it turns and the amount of feel on that bait. Like, I hook them deep. Um, I hook them funny. 
I've actually lost more fish than I would be excited to, to throw it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting interesting technique where you have to like, and obviously I'm just diving into it. Like I've caught a, a bunch of fish on it, but like I'm still like trying to critique the equation to like reduce the amount of fish loss. But I've noticed like if you are quick on the jump to set the hook, you can either get that hook weird or misfire because like especially if you set the hook right away as that bait's falling on that when that weight is penduling down and so for folks like that are watching on the youtube that don't know what a free rig is or you're listening essentially a free rig is like kind of like a texas rig that you aren't pegged but it's more of a drop shot weight than a bullet weight and what the idea is is that drop shot weight is going to run down the bottom first and that saw plastic is still hovering above it slowly falling and it's almost kind of like a pendulum and so what you do is like when you lift your rod up the bait will come down faster to that weight. When you pick up, it obviously rise and then it starts all over again when that weight falls to the bottom. So I've noticed like if you are quick to the jump after you pull and you know that bait's higher and you set the hook, your the weight flies up and that can like kind of throw off where your hook placement is. So I usually will reel the line. You can almost kind of feel it's like actually kind of cool. But also scary at the same time. You can feel that weight slide back down to the hook when you get your line tension. But I usually wait till that line's tight and you reel in all that slack, and then you set the hook. Almost kind of like a Carolina hmm. rig, if that makes sense. That's interesting. What bait? What's your favorite bait on the free rig so far? The creature hog. I wasn't sure. I know some guys that are fishing paddle tails on the back of it to keep the bait hovered further up. I did. Um, but I know with the creature hog, it glides. The problem is that bait glides and it rolls. And so like, mm -hmm. it's, it's very weird getting used to the feel on the bait too, because it's not yeah. like a lot of baits where you have feeling the entire time of moving that bait along the bottom. It's almost like you don't have feel until you pull the line so far that it's back down in weight. Then you stroke it up yeah. and that bait falls back down, but it's super interesting. Maybe I need to. Also, maybe I need to fish it more. Yeah, and it can also be a problem too. Like if you're fishing around a lot of like shell or rock, you know, that's depending on what weight you're using, how your setup is. Like you can get nicks in your line a lot higher up than like. Whereas like if you're drop shot and you're really only going to get nicks in your line around that weight, so it's kind of an interesting technique. Hmm. Rudd, I'm kind of curious. What's not in your arsenal yet that you want to explore? Hmm. I don't, I mean, drop shot, everybody talks about how good it is. Ben talks about how good it is. I've I literally can count on one hand how many fish I've caught on a drop shot. It's like three. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess a drop shot. I feel like it, it definitely could catch fish. I just don't know. I literally, dude, I cannot get a feel for it. I've talked to Ben about it. I've talked to everybody about it. I just cannot get a feel for catching a fish on that thing but i know if i can figure it out i can probably whack their ass on it um another one is going to be a buzz bait again cumulatively bait, i can man, it, it fits your style so well and you can skip it around shallow cover and you can fish it so shallow i mean it's Wait. like whopper plopper but it's one of those baits like it's like a crossover between a whopper plopper and a jig yeah yeah Maybe I just need it's to just. Crazy. I, 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 I need, yeah, I just need to lock it in my hand and like just spend some time with it. 
I think I th- I'll tell you one thing. This is a huge piece of advice for me. I've always saw this. Go smaller than you think you need to go on everything that you throw. Like, I think my problem is I've always fished too big of a buzz bait. Or I've always tried to go too big of a drop shot weight or too big of a drop shot bait. Like, I've noticed that in my entire fishing career, the smaller thing always tends to work better. And so, like, I went and bought some buzz baits this year to try to go fish them. And I think I just bought too big of a buzz bait. And so I'm going to get me like some finesse size buzz baits and go, or I don't even finesse, I don't know, just smaller size buzz baits, shorter arms and stuff like that, and, and go throw them and kind of figure it out. But that's my two, man. Drop shots. I would love to figure out the drop shot because I feel like I could, I could, I would enjoy it if I figured it out. I've just never figured it out. Yeah. What about you, Ben? I don't know, man. Like a swim bait used to be one of those baits in my arsenal. And I'm not talking like a big swim bait. I'm talking like a 3.8, 3.3 Kitec, mm-hmm. just or power swimmer, like just mid column. I'm not looking to do anything crazy with it, but I kind of replaced it with other techniques, especially with live scope. Like I'm so locked in on live scope so much. Um, I mean, that's really the one that maybe a, a rig, um, but just, yeah, like mid-column techniques. I'm really trying – dude, I, I've gotten so wide as far as techniques go. Like I have so many different baits and so many different techniques that I'm decent at, but I'm not mm-hmm. like great at really anything other than like a jig, a drop shot, and like everything else sort of fell to the medium column. I want to be better at fewer techniques. That makes sense. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna work on dead sticking my hair jigs. Good dead stick some hair jigs. I think we got a lot of really good content out of today. Like for people to kind of I think not only just from like your your game as an angler, but also mentally to be able to kind of for folks that are still able to get on the water right now, or folks like Ben and I that our days are dwindling here, if not already done like getting in the, the cycle, getting ready for the next season. So I, I think there's some really good stuff. Uh, and we're going to wrap it up here in a few, but I have one more topic that I really was really curious to, I put it on there, honestly, before really deciding what we're going to talk about tonight, because I knew you guys would have really good opinions on this. And I'm sure you've seen it, but with Major League Fishing and their fantasy with sports betting, and we kind of got into this, Oh, I see. Jesus it's already got me excited to hear the opinion. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm excited because we got into this on our Christmas special. Uh, we got into it for a while, and everyone had differing opinions. But I am very curious your guys' take on betting and, and fishing. Rudd, you, you had the eye roll, so I think you're going to go first here. This is the stupidest thing that you could ever possibly do. You want to talk about true blue gambling at it is like the definition of gambling is betting on fishing now i don't know how they're going to set it up i don't know what you're actually going to be betting on but i can only assume it's going to have to be maybe like a general like weight for the day or a set of anglers that's going to get into a certain you know whatever but i mean dude like 
you know, that's gambling. I mean, it's gambling as gambling gets because fishing is so variable. Like, I could never tell you last year during the Classic that Hank Cherry was going to win. Like, there is no tournament. And even me and Ben, like, Ben, I'll say, I think Jason Christie's going to win. And Ben's like, well, I think this guy's going to win. And then it ends up being some Japanese guy you've never heard of. Like, it's, dude, it's just so variable. I think that it's ridiculous is what I think it is. I mean, you know, at least with like football or any other sport, you got a winner and a loser. With fishing, right. you've got 85 guys who could win or they could lose. Or they could come in second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh. Or, you, know, you know, I mean, like, I just, dude, I think it's crazy. So is your perspective coming from the better? Like you think it's stupid to bet on fishing? Or is it like uh, yeah. betting is just stupid for the sport? I think betting is stupid for the better. For the sport, I have no idea what it's going to do. I think at, for the better, as somebody who has done sports betting before, okay, I bet on I bet on UFC fights every now and again, like twenty bucks. I'll put a parlay together to see if I can win some money. You know what I mean? Just fun. Yeah. I'm not like seriously into it, but I know how much money I've lost versus how much money I've won, and that's that's betting on something where you have two people getting in a cage. There's going to be a winner and a loser. You got a 50, 50 chance of winning or losing. And you can give yourself a slight advantage based on what you know about the sport. And that's the only reason I really bet on it is because I do know a lot about UFC and I enjoy it. So I kind of know who's going to do well, who's not. And so I can kind of build a parlay to make some money. Right. Whereas in fishing, not only is it bad for the better, but as for the, is the sport, I think it's stupid because I don't think there's going to be enough people betting on fishing for there to be any substantial kind of payout. So, like, I only bet on big UFC title fights because big UFC title fights have a lot of people betting on them, so I have more chance of winning more money. Whereas I don't bet on, like, the week-to-week fights because there's just not as many people watching, there's not as many people betting. I, I truly don't think that there will be enough people watching and betting on any particular set of bettable things within fishing to amount to any kind of a money that's going to mean anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what, honestly, what I'm most curious about is to see like how much money is actually going to be dumped into this. Like, and I think a lot of it is going to be up to one Valley sports and MLF to see how they market it how they get it out there and put it on display, but taking a, a different perspective of the anglers and the league itself, uh, speaking on the league real quick, I don't know how exactly it's structured, but I think any additional income, especially from a betting standpoint that a league could potentially accrue, I think has always been official, but I think from the anglers perspective, I think any opportunity, even like a betting where you're getting someone like some random Joe Schmo that walks in and those, oh, shit, I can bet on fishing. I can bet on bass fishing. What the hell? And they think it's cool. And they're like, sure, like, this guy seemed interesting. So you look, up him up, look him up on Instagram, bet on him. He either does okay or not. But either way, you're driving traffic to that guy's page. You might make a non-endemic fan, like somebody who knows nothing about bass fishing. I think as an angler, it's kind of cool because you're driving people to the sport. I mean, granted, we're talking, you know, hypotheticals here. But, like... I think it could be a create cool opportunities to create new fans if I'm an angler and it kind of almost pushes you to have a brand because you might, you know, the better you look maybe on paper or the better you do 
uh, in tournaments, the more willing people uh, people might be to bet on you, which obviously helps more exposure. But I think, again, that circles back to how much are people actually going to be betting on fantasy fishing? Yeah, I oh. think one problem that you have there is like I know people who make a lot of money betting on Chinese basketball. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. I'm not kidding. You, They bet on Chinese basketball. They don't know anything about the individual athletes. They just know enough about Chinese basketball that they put together big parlays and they win money betting on Chinese basketball. And so I think that's what fishing could turn into is people don't really care about the sport. They don't really care about the individual anglers. They don't really care about anything about it. They just figure out how to parlay enough shit together that they can invest 20 bucks and make back 250. You know what I mean? And so I get what you're saying. I definitely do think there will be some people who do that if there is enough people getting into it. I think the biggest problem is that the booking agency or the bookie agency that MLF has aligned themselves with isn't one of the big three or one of the big four out there doing it. Like it's not a, you know, my sports book. It's not an MGM. It's not a, you know, barstool sports. And so I think the biggest problem is, is if that, if fishing isn't presented on those platforms, that it's going to be really hard for fishing to get any traction outside of the fishing world. I think this is a classic, a classic example of the fishing industry being the fishing industry and being kind of stupid in what they're doing because they're, they're, they're designing something for fishermen by fishermen to be used by fishermen. And they think that it's going to have this enormous impact on fishing by bringing new people in when really it's just directed directly at the people who are already invested in what they've got going on. Yeah. Ben, what do you think? I don't, I don't know that I have a great understanding really of it um, to have a conversation. I've never really bet done any sports betting but for me like how do you stay interested in it because like fantasy fishing I'll, I'll do fantasy fishing like one or two events and then i'm like dude i put greg hackney down in you know louisiana and i picked like the guys that should have done well but it's so variable like they <laughs> suck and some you know I, I don't know how i don't know how to be effective at betting on entire like total variability and, i mean there's times where it works out but i just don't know can. how eventually you'd stay interested right like you bet two or three times and you lose your butt because so and so had like one bad event yeah i just i don't know how you do it but I, I, it'll be interesting I'll, i also think what's really interesting right now and this is just looking at sports betting as a whole like every sports betting bookie app is down right now because people aren't spending money on stuff like that. And so I think that bingo right here, I'm already broke from fishing. I think the average person who is a fisherman is going to go spend $15 on new tackle rather than betting $15 on something that honestly, when you look at it from like a mathematical and just the brass tacks of it is never ever going to probably work out the way that it should, unless you are, lucky to the point of winning the lottery like i think that's think, the amount of statistical do you think fantasy luck fishing, do you think fantasy fishing makes you more interested in the individual tournament right like if you're in fantasy fishing currently do you stay more interested in the tournament because i don't i still go up saturday and fish I mean, i've never done it because i don't it's a waste of my time 
I think like, as someone who loves fantasy fishing, uh, but I, again, I'm only speaking on me. Like, I mean, I'm granted, I'm going to watch the tournament regardless. Like I watch almost every MLF tournament and there's no betting on it or fantasy fishing, but it does kind of like give you a sense of like when you're watching the tournament, you're like, Oh, I had him on fantasy. And you're like dual screening or keeping tabs on your phone. Like who's on your fantasy team? How are they ranked in bass track or something like that? I do think, I think, but I also say, I think that's a minority though that do. I'm also curious, and I think Matt Pangrak at BTL is going to have, I want to say it's this week or next from Bally Sports, he's going to have a rep on to talk about this deal. But I'd be more curious to see if they're trying to target people in fishing or if they're trying to target the the dummies that are uh, betting on Jake Paul fights that are trying to just get them into fishing because they think it's weird, stupid, and fun. Like just kind of those out of the ordinary things. I, I'd be interested to see who they're trying to actually go after. Who's their target? Yeah, doesn't target fishermen or doesn't target the guys that watch cricket because or the guys that bet on cricket because cricket's an option. I think, yeah, like, but the I'll, problem I'll, there, like I'm gonna bet, I'm gonna bet pro- on like the the um oh my god, what's it called? Where you can bet on like random stats throughout a football game, right? Like the stupid oh, like, stuff. Oh, like and like uh, in. Uh, uh, like in in line, but like you're betting like as the <laughs> yeah. game's going on. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like the, the most, first or who's the first person to trip over the fifty yard line or something dumb, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it's See, like I think boxes. Like at first quarter, it'll be like the second digit of each team will have like a three or a five, like one of those things. I think that's the only way that you could bet on fishing is like in game fishing, because like I think it's so. And I think, Ben, what you're saying, like people who bet on cricket, I think the problem with fishing is the dudes who are are betting on fishing to make money, like the people who bet on Chinese basketball, will realize very quickly this is not a good use of my money if I'm trying to make money. Like they'll go they'll, – they'll bet on fishing one time and be like, what the f- is this? They'll be like, how, what's the, how did this guy go from – he was in last and now he's in first. Like, how did he do that? Well, it's because he got on a magical day. He got on a magical bite. And, like, they'll realize really quickly, like, this isn't worth my time when I can bet on cricket where there's going to be a winner and a loser. There's a 50-50 chance I'm going to win. And if I know just enough about it, statistically, I can go ahead and parlay a bunch together and make a bunch of money. Yeah, I, I think, think that's where the discussion is going to be really interesting is what is actually going to happen. And I think they would have thought this out, I would hope. I I would – Love to see Greg Hackney just murder Jake Paul. I think that would be like Greg Hackney or like a Jason Christie, or that would be that would make my life. All right, hey, you want me to piss everybody off really quick? Jake Paul's uh, actually a good boxer. I believe Jake Paul is taking the classic route of boxing. If you look at every major boxer out there that was any good, they fought people who were just a little bit better than them. A lot of times. And each time they would get just a little bit better. And then they would fight somebody who was just a little bit better than them and beat them. And then they would go and fight somebody who was just a little bit better. And by the end of their boxing career, they got 25 or 30 fights. And they've got like a 25 and 0 record. And then they can go fight that big money fight. And by the end of all that time, they're actually a really good boxer. I think it's the same thing that Sean O'Malley's doing in the UFC. Like Sean O'Malley, they call him the unranked kid or the unranked whatever they call him because he's unranked because he doesn't fight fighters who are ranked and it's because he's just fighting fighters that are a little bit better than him so that at the end he's got like a 25 and 0 record but i think jake paul can actually fight 
I'd be very curious to see if they, this Jorge Masvidal fight actually happens. That'll be like I action. would love that crap. Yeah. Freaking have if I have all Masvidal flying knee right to Jake Paul's temple. I don't know anything about fighting, but like, I mean, a guy that's already very physically fit, athletic, was an athlete, jock his whole life, has all this crazy tons of money and all the time on his hands and can hire whoever he wants. I think he's going to become a good boxer. It could be good at whatever he wants. And has been doing it for four years, and he's fighting guys that have been like mixed martial art fighters, right? Like these guys are not boxers. All Jake has been practicing for four or five years is boxing. Yeah. Influencers, I mean, on this point, influencers and YouTubers rule the world now. Like look what Logan Paul did in fighting Mayweather. They can get whatever they want now. They just which, is, which is unbelievable because if you really put it in the grand scheme of things, like there are two or three people in the YouTuber influence world that are actually relevant in the scheme of things. Like you put a no-name person in a Lionsgate film and they'll have like a million followers on TikTok, Instagram, yeah. whatever. So like we are still, you know. There you go. Drop out of school, spend all your time on TikTok, and then you'll be able to go fight Mayweather. Uh, I, I'll say it this way. I don't think what Jake Paul is doing is any different than what any of us can do. If somebody gave us endless resources and endless time, we could probably go sit and win an Elite Series event eventually. And I think that's what yeah. he's doing. Is he's just he's just fighting and fighting and fighting until one day that they can put that freaking, you know, that world championship of boxing belt around his waist. Or no, that's not the decides- same that's not the same discussion because the pros can do that, right? Like you would have to say like we would be able to win a Bassmaster Classic or an Elite event against guys, other YouTubers, or against like people that don't do it. No, I'm saying that he's working his way towards being boxing against actual boxers. Like one day he'll work his way to that with the endless amounts of money and practice that he's having. Unless Masvidal just wrecks his world. I want to see that so bad I can't stand it. I have a... I have a I have a different respect for UFC fighters than I do boxers because I can promise you take the baddest boxer in the world and let him get leg kicked one time and it's over. Like, dude, UFC fighters are true blue scrappers. Like, boxers are technical and they're different, but, like, dude, UFC fighters are just ass kickers. I think it's why I like it so much. It's because it's like my philosophy of fishing. Just go fishing. Just go smack them in the face. UFC fighting the same way. Just kick their ass. Like, I think it's bad. It they're like, yeah, they're like legitimate, like lethal weapons. Like they're oh, they're yeah. qualified as a weapon. Like they're they're held on a higher standard than an average human with fists. Like if they punch somebody versus like me punch somebody, they get in way more trouble than me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, their hands are literally deadly weapons. Like yeah, yeah. It's insane. Yeah. I wonder I, what I, you have I, to I, do to achieve that status of like that you're a deadly weapon because no, it's, uh, it's, it's an actual fact that like they're held on a higher status. If you're in the UFC, I think it's something to do with the belt, like your belt status. Like, so if you're like a Brazilian jujitsu black belt, like you're at that point, you're considered a de- like your hands and feet are considered a deadly weapon. Like, I don't think like some dude who just goes and takes jujitsu is considered a deadly weapon. Maybe like, you know, if you got an illegal mumbo jumbo, but I think like when you have like a certain degree of belt, like, you're at that point a deadly weapon. I mean, because it was like, I think it was Francis Ngannou 
they measured his punch. It do like he punched as hard as an alligator bites. Like it was just freaking like ridiculous. And so like if that dude hits you, like hit me or you, he could possibly kill us or yeah. maim us for life. Like he's just a different breed of human being. Like he's a super athlete. Mm-hmm. It's like getting hit by a lineman in the NFL. I mean, there's a super athlete. Right. Well, boys, we're gonna we're gonna wrap. one more thing. Has anyone followed yeah. Lana Huma on Instagram? Because that has been my my pleasures in life over the past couple. I don't days. follow, but I have enough people that send me the posts. Oh, it's Dude, great. You need on. to. You need to. It's it is fantastic. I even laugh at the jokes it's, that he makes about me. Totally inappropriate most of the times. Like those are don't open don't it in public. Open. Yeah, don't yeah. open it in public. But at the same time, <laughs> they are hilarious. I have had people send me the ones he makes fun of kayakers, and I really get a hoot out of that. <laughs> that stuff is actually pretty funny because a lot of it's uh, true, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is. It's hilarious. The one, my favorite one was the really fat guy. He was like sitting there with his belly and his yes. titties hanging over his belly. And it says when, you're, when your torpedo dies 10 miles from the ramp. And like, I literally sent it to Ben. I was like, <laughs> Why are all? Why does it feel like every other person I fish kayak tournaments with is fat and I'm not? Like they are all. They're all like middle aged, forty year old fat white guys. But I think that's bass fishing in general. I don't think if you're in the kayak or the boat, whatever, it's like forty year old white overweight white guys. But no, it's it's the truth. It's pretty funny. Like I I laugh at even even the jokes that he puts about me. I laugh at them because you got to. It's just funny. It's a ha ha. The hee hee. Yeah. I will say though, on the quick topic of kayaks and motors, it is pretty cool to see like the guys that like either one can't afford boats, but can like can't use their knees or shoulders or whatever to see him actually get out in the water. Like I have a buddy who's a veteran and he uses a kayak with the motor on. It's pretty cool to see what those can do for those guys. Make it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There was a, there was a 300 comment, uh, comment argument on a TikTok that I posted um, it was about that motor kayak that I had and like, it was a veteran that said, Hey, I, you know, I don't have a leg. So I use this because I don't have a leg. I thought, well, that's a badass. Well, then like it does what it always does on social media and turned into an argument and turned into a 300 comment argument, which was, it was, oh. it was funny. But the initial comment was the dude lost his leg in Iraq. I think is what he said. And he had a motor kayak and it allowed him to go out and do kayak stuff because he didn't have a leg that functioned in a way that he could pedal. That's pretty cool. All right. We're going to wrap it up here. Uh, but before we do, if you guys have anything exciting for, for 2022 coming up, whether maybe it's new partners or maybe it's a video series or anything coming up for the new year that you guys want to unlevel here, feel free to let it rip before we sign off tonight. Oh, I got my OnlyFans. It's it's gonna start up really soon. No, just getting Ben beard go ahead. Only, yeah, no, it's just uh, beard. It's close crop shots of my beard. <laughs> For me, I have a bait making channel video coming out on Wednesday, uh, jig tying, um, and then that's just where I just go over there and hang out and make baits and share with you guys some cool stuff that I make, and then really just extending the relationship with Berkeley, Abu Garcia, um, TFO, and do it molds those are my main sponsors for uh for 22 heck yeah well pretty much um for me x2 picked up x2 so we got that going on 
talked about that in my recent video, rock and roll, um, which they've got some cool stuff coming out in February, which will be really cool to see. I can't wait to see how that all works out. Um, I'm not working with Do It, but Brennan was nice enough to send me like pretty much everything I could ever need to make some baits. So I actually made some baits and made a video about it earlier. So I'm going to be doing that just because it's fun and I enjoy doing that. Um, I, and I dropped a sponsor the other day. I have a new sponsor pending to be picked up. Um, really didn't go how I wanted it to go, but it is what it is. So I, for me, like the past few years has just been narrowing down the people who I'm actually committed to and who are actually committed to me and who are actually going to help me to make the next step from being a full-time teacher to being a full-time YouTube guy or whatever that you call that nowadays, a fishing dude, fishing full-time is what I want to say. Um, and so I don't know, we're just going to keep working hard, grinding away. That was the grindstone. Just keep on. You won't be a YouTuber. You'll be a uh, YouTube beard. That's right. It's YouTube beard. <laughs> I was called I was called disheveled the other day in a comment because of my beard. So I'm a disheveled bearded YouTuber. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Um, I was trying. To th- I had something, but I already lost it. So we're just gonna ignore it. Uh, but <laughs> for folks that were tuning in. Uh, to the Serious Angler channel. For some reason, if you live under a rock and aren't following or subscribed to these guys, uh, you guys have to. Uh, ben and Alex are great foundations of knowledge, um, and they post out a lot of content you guys can learn from, and they're on this show multiple times throughout the year, and uh, I greatly appreciate them uh, taking the time out. And Ben, we need to actually get some time to fish this year. COVID kind of ruined that for us, and Rudd uh, finally got to get in the boat with you last year hopefully we can do that again this year Absolutely. but uh boys i appreciate you taking the time out tonight and dropping some knowledge on everybody absolutely i enjoyed yeah, it thank you man yeah of course well folks we appreciate everyone showing up tonight uh if you have not like and subscribe to the channels uh all the channels involved here as well as ben's bait making channel that's been uh commenting in this chat room here tonight, (laughs) but uh, appreciate everybody. And we will see you guys on Wednesday. Bye. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can, and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode, and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners, where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.